right. Well, good morning again, everybody. I uh, hope that you had a good week. Glad to see you all here. Uh, it's always good to see your smiling faces. You know, today, we're going to continue in our series of the, going over the spiritual gifts, and our focus today is on the gift of faith. Now, our verse in 1 Corinthians 12, you want to move the first one for me, Paul? There he goes. Thank you. Um, says, to another, faith by the same Spirit. So as we begin this message, I want us to try to understand that there's a few things that can entangle us when dealing with this term. Because to a Christian, believe it or not, faith can be a trigger word. For instance, you didn't receive what you prayed for? Well, obviously, you need more faith. A fun and infuriating phrase. And maybe there's a little bit of truth to it that we don't care to admit. We're going to dive into that today. We'll get into this type of topic because I think that we need to address our own misuses of the term faith, how we're using it to describe our walk when it comes to us even being judgmental with others. But first, let's break down this term a little bit. In the Greek, this word is used as a noun and a verb. As a noun, a lot of times it is translated as faith, belief, trust. You can also get faithfulness, confidence, assurance from this term. When it's a verb, the majority of the time it is going to be translated as believe. So when you see those two terms, it is the same root in terms of what the gospel writers and the authors of the New Testament and Old Testament even are trying to get across. When we think about the term faith, especially in used in the context of the gifts, we want to understand how it's being used or what's meant by the term faith within this context, within the context of it being a gift, because there are different types of faith. And we understand faith as a whole, as a general term as well, um, we understand that it is not a work. Faith is a gift. We understand that as we look at this term. But is that the gift that is being talked about? So I know that this can be a confusing topic. I know because it's confusing trying to articulate it at times. There's a lot here, and I'm not going to be able to answer every question that might come to your mind, but write them down. And we can have questions, and we can go over those things um, as we try to go deeper into this topic and in, encourage you to continue to walk in your faith that way. You know, when we look at the conversations that we have, when we look to different areas of Scripture, where there are different ways in which the Word is being used, we can get tripped up in thinking of using the term in one way and not understanding it in its context or even in a healthy way, perhaps. Maybe we're assuming the worst in how a person is using the term. So today, I'm going to talk about three types of faith. The faith of salvation, the faith in the Word of God, and the faith of healing. All within this umbrella of the overall general term, faith, and understanding faith, in terms of what we are trusting in, what we are believing in, 
Understanding how faith is a complete trust. These types of faith are distinct in terms of how they are described in Scripture. And of course, there's going to be crossover from one to the other, or even crossover in between the other gifts. So we just want to be aware and mindful of that. But as we try to gain an understanding of these uses and how they all relate to one, the one term of faith, how it's used in the general stance or understanding, we want to understand those differences. So let me give you another example. Perhaps someone is talking to you about not having faith. And they mean faith in the word of God, but you take it as them saying you're not having the faith of salvation or you're not saved. How quickly does an argument ensue? How quickly does our blood pressure get boiling when someone says you are not saved? It's an upsetting conversation. But how often do we look at other denominations, other Christians, and say the same thing, thinking that they're not saved or that they don't have faith? How often do we think about that in terms of other people here? Is it awkward yet? I mean, I've had conversations with people within this church and other churches about how, and I love how they couch it, how I, I don't doubt their heart or their intentions. And I'm not saying they're not saved per se, but I don't think that they have faith. And it's a loaded term. There's a lot to unpack. And over the years, as I've heard that conversation, heard that phrase, I interpret it as this other person believes in a doctrine opposite of what I do, so I don't really think they're saved, or I question their salvation. Again, being a little bit judgmental. And being a pastor and sharing my heart, sharing my study of the word every week, every week I give an opportunity for those thoughts to run about me. And I've heard them more than I cared to admit. From other Christians. So how do we use and understand this term faith? You know, as I've prayed about this message, I understand it's going to be more topical. And the heart behind it is to give us a greater awareness into some of these smaller details that have a habit of tripping us up in our walk, going through and understanding through Scripture what we're going to see. So before we dive in, let's go to the Word in, or the Lord in prayer. Father, as we dive into some of these harder gifts to understand, Lord, I just pray that your grace would abound. Lord, I pray that you would help us to gain an understanding, gain an articulation, and that you would bring clarity to our hearts and mind. Help us to grow deeper in our knowledge and love for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we are going to be, again, going through a bunch of different scriptures. Uh, you can try to keep up with me. Um, having communion today, too, we're going to be kind of short on time, so I'm going to kind of fly through those. I have most of them up on slides, so you can just refer to that. You can write down the passages I use, or you can, again, try to keep up with me if you'd like. Um, but we'll, let's start with understanding the faith of salvation. To do that, let's go to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which says... 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Very common passage used to understand the faith of salvation, how it is by grace that we have been saved and that it is through faith, faith that our sins are forgiven based on what Jesus has done on the cross, a faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And this faith is not a work. Salvation is solely a work of God. We simply are believing and putting our trust in the promises of God, in the word of God, what he has said and what he has done. I think that this is articulated well in the Gospel of John. Many times in John chapter 3, we focus on 316. That's our evangelistic verse. That's the one that we always go to. But the context around it is so important. It's so good that we miss so much of it when we only focus on that one verse. Beginning in 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be left, lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Now I'm gonna hit this a few times to drive it home in our minds, but we need to remember, in the verb form, the same word of faith is translated as believe. So it's one and the same. We have a saving faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay for our sins. He came to redeem us. It is his death for our sins that became the acceptable sacrifice. Our complete trust is in that. That is saving faith. Paul explains it very well in the book of Romans. Again, we're just going to fly through about several different chapters. Um, you can go to Romans 10, um, because if it gets more than two slides for one passage, then I don't put it on slides usually. So, starting in Romans 3, kind of where we were for the communion message, but beginning back in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show his righteousness Sorry, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Turning over to Romans 10. I, sorry, I do have the, the verses listed there. Eight through seven, I'm going to read 8 through 18, I think. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. 
Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And then finishing up our walk through Romans, Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Each according, each one has been given a measure of faith, the ability to hear the word of God and believe, so that whoever believes will be saved. You can go back to Romans 1, how men are without excuse. So that is faith of salvation. Now, faith in the word is being able to trust what the word of God says, to hear it and to obey it. And there is belief in the word of God, a faith to believe what he is saying is true, as evidenced throughout all of the scriptures. We see the call for people to believe what God is saying and trust in his promises throughout the Old Testament. We see the same call to trust in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the New Testament. It's a faith that is found throughout all of the Bible where we are waiting on the promises of God. It is what we just see described today maybe as the faith of a child. To where we look at a child who is in their innocence, I know we use that term in Sunday school today, but how they easily believe things, how they obey things, how they trust things. There are many paths that we can take to understand this point in Scripture. But I'm going to focus on just a few different examples, and I'm going to focus on how it was something that was lacking in the disciples that Jesus pointed out around his resurrection. And again, you can find all kinds of examples of this type of faith throughout the Bible. But starting in Luke 24. So this is, again, around the resurrection. Um, and the ladies are going to the tomb, and they meet with this angel. And picking it up in verse 5 of 24. It says, And they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember, how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words. Very important. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other wom women with them who told these things to the apostles. But... 
These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So the women believed the words that were given to them. They remembered what Jesus had said before he was crucified. However, the men, the disciples there, did not believe them. Now again, the term believe is a form of faith. So the disciples did not have faith in the word of God at that time, in what Jesus had said. A little bit further in 24, verses 25 through 27, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus is talking with these people, and this is his response to them. O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it, necessi- was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So there was a, a lack of faith in God's words that were spoken by Jesus. There was a lack of faith in the understanding of the prophets that was partaking here with the disciples. Mark 16 Again, still dealing after the resurrection. Mark records this. He says, Afterwards, he, being Jesus, appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Again, not believing in the word of God. And you look at the disciples, and you can you know, have a negative view of them in this aspect. But then you look at them as they progress in Acts, and you see how they grow in their faith. They grow in their understanding and their trust in the word of God as you follow the early church. You know, the scenes here at the end of the gospel are not the final story for the disciples. You think of the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 as it records all of those people as being faithful as their faith is counted to them as righteousness. They weren't perfect. They had doubts. They didn't believe everything throughout time. But as they continued to grow, as they continued to trust, they are listed in the hall of faith for a reason. They saw the faithfulness of God through his word. And their faith grew because of that. So we have to understand the gift of having faith in the word of God is important for our walks as we grow in that faith. On to the faith of healing. Now, the faith of healing, a lot of times, is written in the Gospels uh, with two common phrases, saying, your faith has healed you, or your faith has made you well. Um, Again, just a snapshot of some of the different verses where these types of phrases can be seen. You have the hemorrhaging woman in Luke 8, 48, Um, As she goes forward to be healed, this is what Jesus says. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The Canaanite woman in Matthew 15, she wants her daughter to be healed. And Jesus tells her, go away. I'm here for the Jews. You know, you're a Gentile. You're not a true believer and, and all of this other stuff. And she continues to press forward. And this is what Jesus says at the end of it. He says, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You think of the Roman centurion who wants his servant healed. And where Jesus then comments, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. The healing of blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10, 52. 
And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now this type of healing is different from the gift of healing, which we'll get into a little bit next week. But faith is related to the gift of healing, as well as to the gift of miracles. So as we see these three gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, back to back to back, there's a correlation between them. There's a mystery surrounding that that we need to try to understand. And I think as we look at the gift of healing and miracles, most people would say, yeah, faith is an important part of that. But the argument usually comes down to what is the role of faith in a healing? What is the role of faith in miracles? Because depending on your presuppositions, you might have to do some theological gymnastics to explain even the brief samplings of verses that I just gave in terms of how their faith made them well. What does that mean? How do we understand those terms? You know, when we think about gymnastics, um, how maybe we try to explain away different verses, a lot of times it comes down to the theologies that we believe. Meaning we will come across different teachings within the Bible that go against what we kind of already believe over here. So we have to explain away what it says in other parts of the Bible. Now it's something that we all do to where we have to understand that with theology, it is man's attempt to try to understand God. I'm here to tell you, no human has fully understood God in all of history. We're growing, we have some good ideas, and we have some good systematic theologies out there. But we have to understand. I mean, you can look back to the basics of even the Catholic faith, for instance. Their stance on Mary, how she has perpetual virginity. A lot of that's taken from Luke 2 to where it says, Hail Mary, full of grace. They interpret that differently. And then we see how passages, how Jesus' brothers and sisters came. Well, wait, I thought she was a forever virgin. How does that work? So to explain that, they have to then deal with those passages. Believe it or not, everybody struggles with this. There's holes in many different theologies as you read different things. That's why we wrestle. That's why we go back to the Word. That's where faith comes into play in terms of faith in God's Word, where we don't always have to understand it. You know, I think a lot of times when this is done, we just need to be aware of how we do it too. And we'll get to this issue a little bit more over the next couple of weeks as we talk about healing and miracles. But with this question and the role of faith, we have to remember some simple things. First, this is a gift from God, period. We do not control it. He is the source. And if we can keep that in the forefront of our minds, it will help us to stumble less over some of these hard passages. Because when we think about healing and faith, you know, you look at Paul, for instance. Um, He, at one point in time, had a handkerchief. And it was sent to people. And they would be healed. So... Anybody want this tissue? <laughs> you think about 
how he had the gift of faith. He had the gift of healing. But there was people that he did not heal, himself included. I prayed three times to the Lord to take this thorn away. He said, my grace is sufficient. He talked about Epaphroditus. He talked about Timothy. Hey, Timothy, I know you deal with this stomach issue. Drink a little bit of wine. It'll help you. Why didn't Paul heal him then? You know, we have these issues within the Bible. Did Paul need more faith? Maybe that's not the right question. But we get hung up on that question. Because when we think of faith, we think of it as something that we can control. Where we're in control of that. And, you know, we get hung up on that. So secretly, subtly, subversively, we use faith as a means to control God. And then when that bubble bursts, when we don't get what we're praying for, we don't know how to respond. We don't know how to move forward because we've built up in our minds that we are in control. We've misused this term. Turn over to Acts chapter 3. We're going to read a larger section here, and I want us to see how Peter kind of handles this issue, dealing with faith, dealing with healing, dealing with miracles. Beginning in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixated his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over, and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. By the faith in his name. You know, within that one passage, we see faith, healing, and miracles. And we see how Peter does not take credit for this 
at all. He has nothing to give other than what's found in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's not a formula to say, if you do it exactly as Peter does, that you can just pick somebody up and have them walk again. Again, we try so hard to make things into formulas or to make it be our own power. Similar to who we talked about last week in Simon the Magician. Let me pay you for this power of the Spirit so I can do this too. That's how we treat faith. That's how we treat our walk a lot of times. That would be one extreme. The opposite is to do absolutely nothing at all. God's got this. I don't have to do anything. Never mind that he's worked through people throughout the entire history of creation. Again, two extremes. We want to try to find a healthy balance of what Scripture says. So we have these types of view within Scripture of faith. You have this gift given in 1 Corinthians 12. The gift of faith. Of the three that I've talked about, which one does it reflect more? Which one does it reflect less? See, the gift of faith here within the context would not be talking about saving faith. Yes, saving faith is a gift. But it's not something that I believe is in view here. I think the faith that's talked about is a deeper expression of faith, such as going through hardships, going through trials, understanding the word, and even healing. You know, you have saving faith when you are justified. This is a one-time event, and then it's done. You're sealed by the Spirit. Then you have faith in the Word, where you are growing in your understanding of that. You have faith in the healing, something that continues to grow. Did you know that faith is something that continues to grow? 2 Thessalonians 1.3 says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of everyone, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So it's not our salvation that grows. You can't be more saved than you already are as a believer. And I think that we can understand that. But we do grow in our understanding of the salvation that we've received. We've, we grow in that way. We grow into the depths of God and his word. But again, we want to keep that distinct from salvation so as not to confuse the two and cause arguments when we talk about matters of faith. Having the assurance of salvation is not because of your faith. It is because of what God has done in his promise, because of what Jesus has done. It's not because of what you have done. Faith, a lot of times, can be described as working out your physical body. You know, as you work out, your muscles grow. You stay in shape, you work them out. The same for your faith. As you exercise your faith, your faith will grow. But the converse is also true. You think about if you stop exercising, what happens to your muscles? They begin to atrophy. The same is true for our faith. If we do not exercise our faith, we begin to slip. We begin to get weaker in our faith. We believe less things in his word. If we're not spending time in his word, that means we're spending time in the world and we're growing in the ways of the world rather than in ways of God. So we have to be able to see those differences. 
Paul taught a little bit about this in Galatians chapter 3. He said, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having, been, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now be, being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You know, faith in this context deals with the promises and power of God and our ability to trust God in all circumstances. You know, if you think about the harder things, if you don't believe, then faith is pointless. You know, if you don't believe in something, it's not going to work for you. If you don't believe in miracles and healing, why do we pray for them? You know, so there's faith, there's at least a seed of faith within those controversial subjects. You know, when we think about this gift, there's probably people that you can point to in your life that you've experienced this gift of faith. The first thing that popped into my mind when I tried to describe this is I thought of the, the book, The Chronicles of Narnia. Of the characters, who had the greatest faith? Pop quiz, see who's read the books. Lucy. Lucy had the greatest faith. You think about the type of faith that she had and how you can point that out. You think about the type of people that you meet in your own life. You know, you think about people like Lucy, and many times we can be cynical. We can judge a person like that and think that they're naive or crazy for believing so blindly the way that they do, for having such great faith. You might even think that they're wrong in the faith that they have. And again, we're going to dive into this issue a little bit deeper over the coming weeks as we talk about these other gifts. But especially in the area of healing, when I think about that, I know that there's a ton of apprehension and cautious faith, if we can call it faith, dealing with healing. There's a lot more listening to reality rather than believing that things like healings can happen today. Or if it does happen, it's through the doctors. And that's how God has blessed people to bring healing. Not all this miraculous stuff that you see in the Bible. I mean, it's not done because of my prayer. It's not done because of my faith. It might not even be an actual gift. So thinking about people of faith, people that exhibit this type of personality that we think of. When we look at it biblically, I'm going to refer back to Acts 6. We've gone over this passage several times concerning the gifts. It's when the disciples are getting swamped with work and they pick out seven other men. And one of those men is Stephen. And in verse 5, they describe Stephen as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Now again, that faith would not be the saving faith of Stephen that is being described. But the faith that he has in God, the faith in the word of God, that he is, he is walking in a way that everything that happens, he is believing God for in all the circumstances. He is not ashamed. He is not put off by anything that is around him. And he has such boldness in, in his faith that he goes and he delivers an awesome gospel message to the point that people stone him to death. I don't know if I'm there in my faith. I don't want you guys to be, I mean, tomatoes, cabbages, I get that. But stones hurt a little bit. 
You know, but his faith was noticeable to the point that Luke describes him as a man of faith. You think about your walk. How would people describe your walk with a word or a phrase? What words would they use? Go back to Romans 12, 3. Don't think too highly of yourself. In the same light, don't think too negatively of yourself. But you think about that question. Is that something you really want people to answer? Are we afraid of what they might say? Why? And what are you going to do about it? Because word of knowledge or general observation, you discern. Many of us are struggling deeply with fear and performance, what other people think of us. And we know from the word that it is not the spirit that is given from God. God has given us a spirit of power, love, and self-control. That is God's word. Do we have faith that that's the spirit that he has given us? Or do we resign ourselves in fear and timidity? Which one is true? Will we obey it? Turn over to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, this is some of Jesus' teachings. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Forgiveness is a hard teaching, especially when people are hurting you. I mean, at what point do you cut off the person and say, stop hurting me? But what is the word of God? You must forgive him. Do we have faith in that? Do we have trust in the word of God that you must forgive him? You might be thinking about those that have hurt you in your own life. How hard that might be. But let's keep reading and see what the disciples say. Increase our faith. This is too hard. We can't do it. Increase our faith. You're telling me I have to forgive him over and over and over and over again? Increase my faith. Increase my ability to trust in you completely that I can forgive this person. Increase our, our trust in your word, in your teaching. Do we begin to see how this is a gift? If it's an act of our own power, it's impossible. 
We don't have enough faith to continually forgive the same person that crushes our spirit, that hurts us over and over again. It is only by the grace of God. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. I mean, what would it, be, what would it look like if people described us as forgiving? You see, when we're walking around in this life, do you ever look at people and think, they're a Christian? They're not a Christian. They're a Christian. You can be honest. We all do it. Some of us won't have outward appearances of Christianity on purpose so that people won't assume different things. You know, when we think about that attitude, when we think about how people make judgments all the time, and they're looking at us, they're making those same judgments about those church people, many times we can get focused on them. Many times we can get focused on their expectations of Christianity, and we could be seeking to fulfill those things those people then become our idols rather than God. Well, we're trying to please them rather than the Father. We're trying to get their approval rather than accept the forgiveness and mercy of our gracious God. It's so humbling for me to think about how Stephen is known as a man of faith, but I guarantee he didn't care what other people thought. He went boldly before an angry crowd, and delivered the gospel because God was his first priority. It needs to be our first priority as well in our life as we're walking through this life. To have the faith of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. But we need to remember that this faith is a gift. It's not an on-demand thing. It's not a thing of control. You know, if it was, then we could walk into all of the hospitals and heal everybody right away, and they'd go out of business. But we have to remember verse 11 in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, where it says, All of these are empowered by the one and same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. They manifest as God wills. Our role is to be his vessels, as broken as we are, to simply have faith in who he is as God, in his promises throughout his word, obeying his commands as we are going. Have faith that he is sovereign and supreme, that he is above all things. And yet he still had such great love to send his son to die in our places. While many times we just sit back in our protected buildings arguing over interpretations. We need to look at our walks. We need to look at where we are placing our faith. Jesus didn't die so that we could just fight with each other. He died so that we can live. He died so that we can have life and have it abundantly. So today let's praise him with all that we got.
with all of the breath that we have because it is given to us by him. Let's pray. Father, as we dive into some of these harder issues, I pray that you would give us clarity. I pray that you would give us understanding in our hearts and minds of your truths and that you would help us to grow in our faith, in our understanding of you, of your word, to where we can put our trust and hope solely in you and not the other things around us, not in our own wisdom, not in our own knowledge, knowledge because that is foolishness, Lord. Lord, wisdom and knowledge begin with the fear of you, for you are holy God, and we praise you for that. Lord, help us to learn our places. Help us to hear the promptings of your spirit as you call us to go, as you call us to move, to be your hands and feet to a broken and hurting world that needs to hear your truth, that needs to hear the gospel message. Lord, I pray that your spirit would continue to fill us, to give us the words to say, to be people of faith that walk boldly with confidence. Lord, as we look at the martyrs that came before us, Lord, what attachments are we holding on to in this life that would say, I don't want to do that? Lord, may I be such a man of faith that I would die for my faith. Lord, you have drawn the line in the sand, belief and unbelief. Help us not to be straddling that line, but in all areas, have solid faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.